Hello there, this is Ricardo Silvestre. I'm back with another episode of the Liberal Europe podcast in lockdown, European Liberal Forum project, where we talk with some of the guests from the webinar series Liberties in Lockdown from ELF, where we tackle some of the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic in the European Union. And today I'll be speaking with Scott Griffin. Scott is a deputy director of the International Press Institute, a global press freedom organization that was founded in 1950. And we go into the dangers of the journalist community that they're going through right now during this crisis and some of the solutions to maintain a free and independent media during and after the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm here with Scott Griffin. Scott, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Ricardo. Good morning. Oh, it's great to have you here. And uh, I saw you and hear you on the Liberties in Lockdown. Uh, is coronavirus infecting free speech? And I thought it would be interesting to have you here back so that we can extend some of the topics that you presented during uh, the, that webinar. And then later on, I'll be asking you to talk a little more about IPI. But for now, I want you to give us a little bit of um, a picture what's going on with uh, the journalism profession. We know so many, you know, problems and troubles that journalists have n normally without this pandemic. But what can you tell us now uh, the dangers that uh, journalists are facing all over the world? Well, um... Look, uh, there are three areas uh, that, that I see as uh, challenges for journalism at the moment. And, and um, one is obviously the press freedom uh, segment. Uh, you know, we are, IPI is uh, monitoring attacks on the press at a global level. From the beginning of this crisis, we began doing that because we knew that uh, this crisis would offer an opportunity for governments to crack down on the press and to try to control the message. We've already counted uh, nearly 200 uh, incidents or press freedom violations at a global level, and I'm sure we can go into to detail on, 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 on some of those. The second area is, is the financial challenge for the media. Um, and, and here it's, it's a, we have a very serious situation. Uh, for, for many media, the adver advertising revenue has, has dropped uh, almost completely in some cases. Uh, and, and we have a situation in which more people are, are looking for quality information more than ever. And yet, uh, and, and many websites, news websites, for example, have more visitors than ever. And yet uh, income for media has dropped to levels, to, to, to the lowest levels we've seen um, in many, many years. So there's this uh, unfortunate irony uh, going on at the moment for the media, which, is, which has created a financial crisis. And the third area uh, is uh, is journalist safety. Um, you know the, the question of whether journalists and media outlets are are properly prepared uh, to report on the front lines of this crisis. Uh, you know when it comes to having the right uh, equipment and and protective measures for reporting, for example, from hospitals and other healthcare facilities. So just as a general overview, those are the three areas um, that, that we're looking at. And the first two areas are, are fall more in the um, in IPI's uh, in IPI's area of monitoring. And I will be going into those, particularly the part that you just mentioned, very interesting about supporting uh, journalism, free journalism, independent journalism. But let's stay here 
for a little longer, and that is, you talk about safety, so the concerns, apart from, you know, physical violence, restriction of access, uh, abuse, now we have another problem, which is the safety of the journalist, as you mentioned, if, it, if it's going to a hospital, if it's going into a nursery home. Are journalists going anyway? Are naturally and understandable people afraid and that they don't want to go? What's going on? No, I think the instinct of most journalists is that uh, they, they, they need to go out and they want to go out and cover the story. This is the biggest story in, in, in generations um, for, for, for most media. And um, we see a lot of journalists providing quality information uh, that the public needs. And, th and that's also been our, you know, IPI's message in this crisis that, you know, this is a moment when we need independent information more than ever. And the public needs information they can trust uh, about the healthcare crisis, uh, and and the public also needs to be able to understand the measures that are being taken uh, to stop this pandemic, and to be able to debate whether these measures are the right ones and whether they are effective. And that's that's precisely the reason that we began uh, to very closely look at restrictions on the press during this crisis. There's a lot at stake here. Um, and, and we see in our monitoring so far, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, nearly 200 so far press freedom violations, which range from um, physical attacks in some cases of journalists um, attempting to cover lockdowns. Um, we see also legal, uh, legal threats and legal harassment. Uh, this is especially in the form of new fake news laws that are popping up uh, all around the globe and can be used to, to restrict information. Uh, and we also have a, a growing problem with access to information. Uh, and this is a big area that, that ranges from governments uh, refusing to give information about or give, refusing to give data they have about, about the virus, um, governments uh, not holding, not finding ways to hold press conferences and to remain transparent. And, and in some countries, we also have problems with journalists being prevented from accessing healthcare facilities or, or from, from prevented from being able to speak to healthcare experts. In some cases, that's even because governments are issuing directives uh, to doctors and nurses, for instance, not to talk to journalists. Uh, so these are all very concerning developments. And as I said, um, it's it's especially concerning because this is a moment when there's so much on the line in so many different ways that, that free media and, and free journalism is, is absolutely critical at this moment. We see all these draconian measures being taken now. We see this pushback against the media, against uh, media that it's trying to tell people what's going on and, and alert them to, to be more safe and to, be, uh, to take care of, them, of themselves and their families. How do you see this play out? So COVID-19, fortunately, things are getting a little better here in Europe. Same thing doesn't happen, for example, in, in Brazil or in the United States as we at, at the moment of this recording. But let's stick here a little more in the European Union. Let's say that things get getting better and less less restrictions. How can we make then the government not maintain these measures on place. What is your position on that? Well, I think uh, you've uh, kind of hit the nail there on, on the head. Um, the, the problem that we see is, is, first of all, that, you know, what 
Yes, uh, in, in Europe, it may be that the immediate uh, health danger is receding, but the impact of the crisis is, is going to be with us for a long time, whether that is the economic crisis that has emerged or the vast, potentially vast social changes uh, that are emerging. Uh, think about, you know, in particular surveillance and those types of issues, things that will not be easily uh, walked back. So there are a huge number of changes coming out at the moment in societies. And, and there is so much uh, that journalists need to be covering, so many debates that, that we need to be having. And, and, and one of our big concerns with regards to these, you know, the state of emergence, states of emergency that have been um, that, that have been instated in many European states is that in some cases this this concept may be abused. Um, because these consequences are going, especially the economic consequences will continue, that states will will look and say, you know, uh, we're going to extend these, these emergency measures for as long as this crisis, quote unquote, is with us. Um, that, was, uh, that was one of the reasons why there was so much concern. If you look at Hungary, for example, which has been um, inside the European Union by far, uh, the most serious point of concern over the past 10 years, a country that has dismantled media freedom in a systematic matter, manner for 10 years, um, brought in a state of emergency that gave Orban uh, the power to rule by decree uh, and, and, and brought in new penalties or that, that, that basically criminalized journalism. And, and, and the danger here is clear that, this, that this, these emergency measures will, will be used uh, for years to come, potentially. I think it's worth reminding that in Hungary, there's still a state of emergency related to migration, although this crisis has been over for, for years in Hungary. Uh, and that this, this situation will continue to be used to generate restrictive measures on, on society uh, and, 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 and further restrictions on, on basic fundament, fundamental rights in Hungary. So, and, and again, we're speaking within the European Union where there are more, more checks and balances on, on, on power. If you look to countries outside the EU, these, these checks and balances simply don't exist in many cases, and so the danger is even greater. Um, but, this is, but this is precisely a concern, that these emergency measures uh, will not end, or, or that, you know, as, as was the case in September 11th, for example, around the war on terror, that, that new types of restrictions on civil liberties will be introduced, uh, and then eventually they'll become part of standard law. You know that they won't be emergencies anymore. They'll just be seen as as something that that people gradually accept as being normal. And I think there's a huge a huge danger around this, uh, and that's why, again, from our view, it's so important to be having debates about the types of societies that we want, what is necessary in a crisis, uh, and and what should be ended as soon as 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 we can determine that the crisis is over. Um, and, and as I said, there's a lot of danger that governments will seek to extend the idea of, of, of the crisis itself. So in a situation like that, if you have those governments extending and then extending a little more and trying to make it as a normality, what can people do? What can the regular citizen, apart from voting, of course, what can people do? Well, I mean, from our point of view, as a media freedom organization, the most, the most important thing is, is, to, is to have that debate, to have that discussion. And, and the only way you can do that is with a free media that is picking up these that, that is picking up these topics. Um, 
unfortunately, and, and of course, these debates are happening in many states. We, we start to see this more as the immediate healthcare uh, danger has, as you said, begun to recede. There is more criticism now, critical discussion about about the restrictions and what they mean. The problem is that um, we have a big problem in countries like Hungary, where um, media already operate in a repressive environment, and it's very difficult for for the public at large to access critical debates. You know, in Hungary, um, there there still exists critical media, but they're confined mostly to to large cities. So if you're out in in rural areas in the countryside, you don't have access to 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 critical journalism. Uh, and this means that those debates that I am that I am saying that are healthy for democracy, they're not reaching, they're not reaching everyone. Uh, and, and so we have kind of a, a fundamental problem um, from the beginning, uh, ensuring that the, that the entire public can participate in these debates and understand what is going on. Otherwise, uh, you have uh, authoritarian or quasi-authoritarian governments uh, simply. Uh, dominating the message and, and dominating the discussion, and, and people are unable to, to have that kind of critical, critical debates. So, so it's a matter of of ensuring that there is a maximum awareness uh, among the public, and that people are able to to debate this. And that that requires a free and critical media. So, you know, we need to defend uh, and defend uh, media freedom where where it exists already. Fortunately. And 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 work very carefully to push back against restrictions that that uh, that narrow that space for discussion. Apart from what you just described, and that is people participating, discussing, debating, uh, bringing this to the forefront, there is other way, and you already mentioned it, and that is the financial financial support. There's a lot of discussion about this. How, for example, the uh, European Union towards the European Commission, they can have funds to support this kind of press. Also, people can by themselves donate, uh, buy a subscription. Do you think that this is a viable way? It could generate by itself a lot of support or is just residual? Well, look, um, the, 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 the financial crisis is, is enormous facing the media. Uh, it, it's a huge proportion. And um, and as I said before, you know, I, I've talked to many to many editors and publishers that they are seeing traffic to their websites that they normally have on an election day every day, and yet that traffic is unable to make up for the lost lost revenue. Um, the you've mentioned a couple of ways, you know, we we at IPI uh, discuss, you know, it's it's it's, a, it's an ongoing debate about public support for, for media in the form of whether that is at the national level or at the EU level. Um, here, I think, of course, we have to be very careful uh, because we don't want to create a relationship of dependency from the media on the state. And of course, any kind of any kind of scheme to distribute public money to media must be done in the most independent way possible. Um, and, and you need to avoid not only not only um, non-independence, but also any the, the appearance of non-independence, uh, as that damages immediately journalistic credibility, and you can't get that back easily. Um, there are ways to do it. IPI itself has a has a fund for cross-border investigative journalism, which is supported by the European Commission, and will will provide one million euros this year to cross-border projects. 
Um, and we've designed it in a way to maximize independence. So the money is distributed by IPI, but the projects are selected by an independent jury, which where IPI, not only the donors have no, uh, no say, but even we don't have a say. Uh, so, so it's exclusively done by, by a jury of experts. And that's to make sure that people trust the process and, and that the journalists can trust the process. So it can be done. On the other hand, of course, there are national level initiatives in some cases, um, which are problematic because they don't have these type of safeguards. Um, so, so that is a big issue. So it needs to be done very carefully. You mentioned as well, you know, subscribing to, to media. Absolutely. Uh, we've seen, I think, that those media that had already a strong um, relationship to their readers and, and viewers, uh, in particular sub through subscription schemes, were the ones that have been most able to weather this crisis. Uh, and it, it is an important time for people to 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 um, to show that they support independent media by by also paying for content. You know, and, um, it's not easy at the moment because you know everyone is is facing a financial crisis as well. So I don't think that that's at the moment the the, the be-all and end-all because it, it's a, it is a difficult situation, but certainly it is something that, that can be done. Um, but, but you know, I, none of this, I think, will replace the, the need for economic recovery and the need for, for advertisement revenue again. I mean, the, the, the damage, the financial damage is simply too great. Uh, and as I said, I don't think that the ultimate answer can be that everything becomes public funding because... You don't want media to have this this relationship of dependency. You also want, of course, uh, a free market to also be able to support uh, journalism. Indeed, and which is a liberal value. We're in the uh, Liberal Europe podcast. So thank you for that, Scott. And uh, there is another problem, which is the uniformity of the message. And this, this is something that I follow very, very closely. It's something really uh, important to me. And that is this conglomerates, either they're state-based or they're private-based. But all of a sudden you see a lot of outlets, uh, print media, internet media, TV media. And they all say the same. They all have the same uh, guidelines to give information to the public. Do you see this even getting worse because of COVID-19? Is it more a, a rush than to have, you know like we unfortunately see in the United States, the enemy of the people thing, and trust me, don't trust the media. How can, we, again, I know that I'm repeating myself, but how can we get out of this uh, in a good way, Scott? Well, I mean, I, I, I can only talk about this a bit from my personal perspective, um, because IPI is, is focused on ensuring that media can report freely. Uh, when it comes to the uniformity of, of message, um, yes, I mean, of course, I think there is uh, some some legitimate concern about this. Uh, there needs to be a careful balance, I think, between ensuring that media carry messages that are important for public health. Um, people need to know. People need to know and understand what is what steps are being taken and what they need to do how they can protect themselves. And, and many times this, this implies carrying a government message, you know, and, and there will be some, uh, some, you know, sameness of message here. Um, on the other hand, I think it's absolutely right to say that this is not the time to, to be complacent or it's not the time to um, drop critical thinking 
and 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 critical coverage of of this public health crisis. On the contrary, um, as I said before, there's there's so much on the line. Not only people's health, but um, but how society will look after this crisis. This is the biggest rollback in fundamental rights and liberties in generations. Um, so there can't be there cannot be any type of, of complacency, as I said, when it comes to, to media being willing to question what is going on. And I think we are seeing more of that. You know, at the beginning, um, there was, yeah, more uniformity. When it came at the beginning of the lockdowns, there was more uniformity in reporting. Um, but I think that that is changing, definitely. Uh, people are now definitely starting to, and journalists are definitely starting to look much more closer at um, at the measures taken. Are they necessary? Are they effective? Are they proportionate? And this is precisely the type of debate that we need to be that we need to be having. And and the other side is, of course, that many governments have an interest uh, in 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 message control, and um, and and that is something that we need to watch very carefully. And, and um, and, and we see this, as I said, taking place in, in many different ways that governments try to prevent journalists from speaking to doctors and nurses, trying to understand what, what the real data and statistics are about the, about the virus. Um, you know, we, we had a very interesting discussion with some Hungarian journalists recently about why they're unable to access information about about the crisis and on the one hand it's because governments refuse to give data to independent media they refuse to speak to them they don't give interviews on the other hand it's very difficult for them to to speak to doctors and nurses and i ask is it because uh, doctors are afraid to speak to you or because they're not allowed and they said it's a combination that the medical ex- experts are, are are censoring themselves um to speak to media and, and in some cases they're under under directives maybe informally uh, not to speak to journalists. Um, so, so, so there are a number of uh, parts, you know, to this question. As I said, so one, one is the responsibility of the media to to remain critical, which is which is happening now, definitely. And the other part is to be very vigilant about um, the the desire of of governments to control the message around the pandemic and the steps that states are taking. Yeah. Well, it, the worst thing about since. Worse than censorship, it's self-censorship. So that is something that we do need to take care of it. And But I'm very happy that we have some positive indicators, as you mentioned, and that is after the first scare. And that I think it's absolutely normal. The, the pandemic was really, really scary for in, in a really short period of time. So that led to some uniformity. But as you mentioned, and that could be a positive indicator and that people are starting now to get uh, more on their footing and doing their job. Uh, Scott, as we go to the end of our conversation, I want to focus now on the work done by uh, the Institute. Uh, You already mentioned that 1 million uh, euros project, that grant, which is an awesome initiative, but also you have other tools that people can use to know more, to read about it, to get informed, like for example, the COVID-19 toolbox. So tell us a little bit how can people know more and how can people follow the work? Sure. Uh, thanks, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, as you said, we, we publish a number of resources. One is, uh, one is the, the press freedom tracker itself. So looking very carefully at uh, media freedom violations, uh, the background to them. Um, 
The other types of resources we have are IPI is a network of, of editors. So we have, a, we have um, you know, um, a, a, an entire network of editors who are working to manage this crisis uh, and come up with innovative ways uh, to report in the public interest. And we've been sharing those experiences from our members within our network and, and publicly. And I think this is this is a really important uh, resource, you know, journalists from our members in, in East Asia uh, to our members in Africa and India. How are they managing this crisis and what lessons uh, can be learned from that? Um, we also have a, a, uh, a resource on funding opportunities for journalism. So what different uh, sources of funding from, from both public and private sources exist and, and how media outlets can apply to them. Um, and of course, we are, IPI is regularly engaged uh, in, in advocacy work to support press freedom during this time. You know, in the case of Europe, we are, we are in regular contact with European Union institutions, the Europe institutions, to make sure that many of the issues that we have discussed in this podcast already uh, especially ensuring that there is a quick end to the emergency measures, uh, that concepts like fake news are not abused to restrict the work of the press, that surveillance, and this is this is also a very important point, that surveillance um, uh, does not become disproportionate uh, and does not impact the, the ability of journalists uh, to do their jobs. So, so we are working in a number of, of different areas, and, and as you pointed out, uh, we have this uh, toolbox, uh, which which uh, includes all of these uh, all of these points and can be accessed on our website uh, ipi.media. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, we just scratched the surface. Uh, let's use that journalistic cliche. Uh, so I would like to have you back on the podcast on the near future because this is a very important conversation. We need to keep talking about the importance of journalism and the importance of journalists and give information to the general public. So I want to commend you. I want to commend the Institute for doing such a wonderful work. And I will put all these links on the uh, description of the podcast so that people can read and get involved. But for now, Scott, I'm going to thank you again so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. The Liberal Europe podcast. It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.